Let me guess. You're playing your ball out of the wrong fairway again. Stop yelling four right after every shot and start playing the new Big Bertha B21 from Callaway. Because truth is, there's a ton of distance trapped inside your swing. You just need the technology of Big Bertha to unlock it. It's pretty simple. A straighter ball equals a longer ball. So Callaway built a whole family of Big Bertha drivers, irons, woods, and hybrids with a new formula for forgiveness. Big Bertha was designed to reduce side spin while generating an insane amount of ball speed, leading to straighter shots off the tee. That's how you unleash your inner distance. And Callaway made Big Bertha irons so forgiving you can practically hit them anywhere on the face and the ball just launches. No matter your swing, Big Bertha gives every shot more distance. Big Bertha is a full family of long, forgiving, and really easy-to-hit clubs. Say hello to the fairway again. Introduce yourself to the green, because this is distance any way you swing it. Unlock your inner distance today at callawaygolf.ca slash Big Bertha. After proroguing Parliament in August, the Liberals delivered just their second throne speech since being elected in 2015. And with the support of Jagmeet Singh and the NDP, Justin Trudeau's team avoids having to fight an election battle a year into their second mandate. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. I'm joined by Parliamentary Bureau Chief and National Post columnist John Iveson to discuss whether the throne speech was the big agenda reset Trudeau suggested it would be, and why the NDP decided to back the Liberals. Don't forget you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, John, not too long ago, a few weeks ago, in fact, the talk was about resetting the agenda with some new key people in cabinet and a focus on recovery. That was the rationale that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau gave for the necessity of proroguing parliament and ending the session of parliament. With last week's throne speech, do you feel that we got the big reset that we were promised? Well, I think contrary to what Mr. Trudeau actually said, what it was all about was the Liberal Party regaining control of the narrative. Mm -hmm. Prorogation was about the wee scandal at the time. The government was getting pummeled. They wanted to stop talking about it and start talking about things that it would prefer to talk about. So you prorogue, you announce you're going to have a speech from the throne. And I guess the whole idea is that it's a, as you say, press the restart button. You know, I think that they're now happy they're talking about a whole new agenda. It might not be the agenda that they had envisaged when they decided to prorogue. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, as British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan once said, events, dear boy, events. <laughs> they were overtaken by events. Yeah. And as the COVID numbers started rising, they started realizing that this whole idea of an ambitious green build back better plan might not strike a chord with an electorate that was feeling very anxious about employment and income. And so if you start talking about things that are your kind of hobby horses and are not addressing the concerns of Canadians, you've got a disconnect and you're probably further behind than you were in the first place. They were smart enough to change tack. And if you look at the speech from the throne, you can almost see the joins. You know, the speech was probably written and then they decided, well, we better not lead off with massive investments in green infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. We better be talking about covid and you can see the first third or so of the speech it looked a lot fresher and more contemporary than some of the other stuff. So from the government's point of view, mission accomplished. We're not talking about we, we're talking about the things that they intend to do over the next little while. Very busy agenda, essentially an election platform, although we now know we're not likely to go to an election. 
So overall, to a credit to them, they, despite being to some degree, and at least as far as their critics would view them, ideologues in some way when it comes to very high-minded agendas, they were able to change tack and really focus on what the concerns of Canadians may continue to be under COVID-19. What were some positives, do you think, out of this speech and some highlights that we'll see in the fall session of Parliament? If it's all enacted as it's planned, it's a very profligate plan. I mean, you're talking about adding another potentially 50 billion just on the, the extension of the wage subsidy alone. You know, that's going to take us somewhere close to $500 billion in deficit spending this year. That's half a trillion dollars, which not only means that our children are going to be paying this debt off, it's probably our grandchildren too, because even if you get to a point where you've balanced the books, you're not actually paying down the debt. So it's going to be a very long time before any government is actually tackling the principal debt. Mm -hmm. I think that some kind of extension of the wage subsidy was required probably for industries that have been particularly badly hit, tourism, food services, accommodation. But I'm not sure that it needed to be applied across the board, and I'm not sure that they looked at that. This is not a government that necessarily thinks, first and foremost, about the cost of anything. It doesn't do rigorous cost-benefit analysis, I don't think. That's an awful lot of money being spent when perhaps we didn't need to go the whole hog and spend $50 billion. Maybe we could have spent 20 or 30 I quite liked their green plan, which was based on a report that came out the week before by the Task Force on Resilient Recovery. It was a group of industry and green executives. The main thrust of what it was proposing was spending somewhere around $30 billion over five years on retrofitting homes and offices and institutional buildings. That is a project that I think every party can get behind. Mm -hmm. The Harper government had subsidized retrofits going back a decade or so. I spoke to Aaron O'Toole and he thinks that that's probably not a bad idea. It's not a project that is going to harm the economy. In fact, it's going to create lots of jobs. If you make homes and buildings more energy efficient, you're helping the environment and you're helping the economy. So I think you know that is one where, where the balance is about right. It was a clever policy to begin with. Uh, they also were proposing a lot more investment in zero emission vehicles which again, I think is a potential win-win for Canada. When they were talking green issues, they were actually talking issues that are not going to cost taxpayers even more money. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they're probably politically acceptable. So I thought that was pretty good. But there are so many initiatives going through this document that I think the, the biggest problem is this is not a government that has got a great reputation for executing on its ideas. Over the course of its mandate, it didn't convert some of its big ideas that it came up with in its 2015 election platform. For example, proportional representation in the next election. Yeah. So I think the big problem with, with the speech is that it's so chock full of initiatives, they're never going to get to half of it. Well, especially now with a minority parliament. Although, arguably, we don't have one of those anymore. Well, I suppose that's true. The, the NDP has said that they will support the throne speech. What did... Trudeau have to offer up in concessions to get the support of Jagmeet Singh and the NDP? Well, he didn't have to offer that much, to be honest. The disagreements were over whether people getting the Canada New Recovery Benefit were going to get $400 a week or $500 a week. Mm. You know, for a government that doesn't care how much money it spends, what's the difference? <laughs> the other thing was paid sick leave, which I think the Liberal government was pretty much on side with anyway. So it seems to me that Jagmeet Singh sold himself short, sold himself cheaply, to be honest. And I don't really see the electoral calculation for the NDP unless they're so strapped for cash that they just could not afford an election and they were looking for an excuse to back the Liberals. But strategically, it seems to me the NDP has got to differentiate itself from the Liberals. Otherwise, what's the point of it? I mean, if you're a potential swing voter, NDP or Liberal, 
why would you vote NDP right now? You've got a Liberal government that is giving you everything you want, and the NDP, it seems to me, is legislating itself out of existence. What would Jagmeet Singh have to do now to differentiate himself from Justin Trudeau and the Liberals should we find ourselves in an election? Where is the ground to be found for him? He's got a real problem because the Liberals are moving so far left that it's hard to see what he does. But I guess he makes ever more outrageous demands of the Liberals until the point that they say no, and then he has something to whack them with. But at the moment, there really is nothing for him to fall out with the Liberals over. And if you remember back, Jack Layton got to this point and made a strategic decision in the fall of 2005 that there was nothing in it for him electorally to keep supporting the Liberals. So what did he do? He brought down the Liberals. I mean, it was Leighton who brought down Paul Martin's Liberal government. Mm -hmm. And he gained electorally every election after that because they were fairly aggressive in the criticism of the Liberals. The Liberals had their own problems, which obviously didn't help. It created some space for the NDP. But I just don't see how strategically it makes sense for the New Democrats. I mean, this is their problem. They've got to solve it. But uh, it's not. I'm not losing any sleep over it, to be honest. But for the New Democrats, they have got to find a reason for being. As far as the conservatives go, does Singh's support of the throne speech let Aaron O'Toole off the hook in some way? I had a sense that the conservatives weren't going to support the throne speech at all, but I don't necessarily know that they were ready for an election as well under a new leader. Does this let O'Toole off the hook and give him some breathing room? It does a bit. I think that the conservatives would have opposed the throne speech and the economic statement to follow and crossed their fingers that the NDP supported it mm-hmm. because... Clearly, when only half the electorate can name your leader or could recognize him if he was in a police lineup, you have a problem and you need time to address that problem. I think O'Toole's done pretty well so far, but he's still an unknown quantity to far too many Canadians to risk going to an election. Now, looking at the speech itself again, were there any areas that, A, you were surprised that the Liberals were focused on or any areas where you feel that there were missed opportunities that the Liberals could have made a statement on or could have given some attention to that they didn't? Well, I was surprised that there was not more made of the need for fiscal prudence. I mean, they said the words, but they didn't really mean it. I mean, there was no signs of any restraint there. They essentially said that low interest rates are their fiscal anchor. But, you know, this is not a point for debating societies. This is an actual real thing that if the federal government seems to have lost control of spending, then we will get hammered in international markets. And we still raise money on international markets. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a belief that because the Bank of Canada has bought up billions and billions of dollars of government debt, both provincial government and federal government, and even corporate debt, that because the Bank of Canada is doing that, that it will keep doing that indefinitely. And it will not. I mean, the bank's been pretty clear. These are temporary measures for troubled times. And at some point, they will stop this quantitative easing process. And at some point, interest rates will start rising again. And by then, I suspect that the credit rating agencies will have downgraded Canada's debt rating and we will start having major problems with our debt servicing. I mean, in the mid-90s, 36 cents out of every tax dollar was going on debt servicing. It's now somewhere around 10 cents, but that's only a function of low interest rates. It's not a function of the level of our debt, which is obviously massive now. Mm -hmm. It's over a trillion dollars and rising, and there does not seem to be much heed paid to it now. I I thought that the the speech from the throne would at least have some indication that the government has a plan to at least start reducing the level of deficits, get those deficits under control, and maybe put a target of 1% of GDP for deficits, maybe 10% for debt servicing costs. Mm -hmm. There was nothing like that. And I think that that's a major opportunity missed. 
One thing that had been bandied about in recent weeks was whether the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit would be continued and rolled into some sort of guaranteed income or universal income benefit. And I believe Christia Freeland is someone who is a supporter of that idea. And there are others in the Liberal caucus who are have been pressing for that idea. Were you surprised that it wasn't in there? Or do you think that that's something that the Liberals shouldn't be touching whatsoever right now? Well, I think that that may have been their concession to fiscal prudence, that there wasn't more on that. Mind you, the extension of the Canada Recovery Benefit is, in effect, a universal basic income. I mean, it creates a floor price on what people are going to earn. You, I mean, you can earn $20,000 on the CRB. You can then earn up to $38,000 without being penalized. So it would seem to me this is a huge disincentive to work. Because if you're a minimum wage earner in Ontario, for example, you would earn $27,000 a year. Now, you can earn 20000 by staying home. Mm -hmm. So I would have thought at the lower end of the wage scale, that there are going to be labor shortages, at least as long as this Canada recovery benefit goes on. And we're going to see people maybe taking some part-time work to earn up to 18000 So they get to the 38000 before any of it's clawed back. I mean, it's going to be a major transformation for low-income workers, but it's hugely expensive for the country. And I think it's for the labor market is going to be a big problem for them. Jagmeet Singh has said that the NDP will support the throne speech. There won't be an election. When will there be a vote on it? When will we see the fiscal update? And what's the next step for the Liberals here? So we now know that the Liberals will get through the throne speech. I guess there's a prospect that if the government doesn't follow through with the cash in this fiscal update that they're going to give, probably in November, I would think, there is a prospect that the NDP might bring them down over that statement if it doesn't follow on from the promises made in the, the throne speech. But I suspect it will, so therefore we're into next year. Jagmeet Singh has signaled that as long as this relationship continues and he asks for something and the Liberals give them it, then we may continue in this vein for the next three years. We might see out a four-year mandate in a minority government. The average lifespan is about 18 months. I think we've seen longer. I'm trying to think back now to Harper. I guess it was three years in 2008 to 2011. Mm -hmm. But we could see uh, this thing going the full term. If Jagmeet Singh continues with this calculation, that it's beneficial for the New Democrats to support the Liberals. Interesting political times indeed. John, thanks for your time. Great. Thanks a lot. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, John Iveson. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.